Romans 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the uncircumcised, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say? was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not commit count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who were not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as had been told so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, 
or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, in a minute, we're going to have a look at that passage. But before we do, there's just a couple of things to mention. The first is at the end of the sermon, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions and make comments in light of the things that we've been thinking about. And that all happens in the chat area on the YouTube channel. I'll explain that when we come to it. The other thing to mention is there's a sermon outline that should be found in your description box. You can download that and use that or ignore that at your own will. And then finally, and most importantly, we're going to ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that you made to Abraham. And we thank you how he demonstrates to us an unwavering faith which simply means he believed the promise that you made to him. And we pray, Lord, as we think about these things today, that we would believe the promise that you've made to us. We thank you that that is the simplicity of what it means to be the people of God. That we know you and believe you to be true in the words that you speak. Amen. Abram is not a particularly appropriate name for a child. Abram, A-B-R-A-M, means exalted father. And you can imagine the laughter of the other children every time little Abram was called. Tea's ready, exalted father. Then it's bed and bath time, exalted father. Now, of course, the situation is no better once exalted father becomes an adult. Because the one thing that Abraham is famous for is having no children. It isn't even that he's just called plain old father. His name is exalted father. This is further exacerbated when God changes Abraham's name. Abraham must have thought, finally, a new name. Only the new name was worse than the old. Instead of being known as exalted father, Abraham would now be known as father of a multitude. It wasn't until Abraham was a hundred years old that he had his first legitimate son. When Sarah died, he did remarry and had other children. 
But with Sarah, father of a multitude, was only ever father of one. Well, this morning we find ourselves in Romans 4. And Paul's argument so far is Gentile and Jew alike are under the wrath or anger of God. But God's righteousness has now been revealed and that is God has dealt with his anger by sending his son to be a sacrifice. The son's sacrifice is sufficient to appease God's anger so that everyone who believes can be justified by God. This is the essence of faith. Belief in the son and belief in the one who sends the son. And in today's passage, Paul is going to tease this out a little further. And as Paul explores this, he chooses to make his point by picking out Abraham. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul calls Abraham our forefather. Abraham is the father of the Jews. So although he only had one son, through his son Isaac, God would raise the nation of Israel and Abraham would become the exalted father. And as such, the Jews had a very high regard for Abraham. The commentator Douglas Moo collates a few comments regarding Abraham from Jewish writings. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Abraham did not sin against thee. No one has been found like him in glory. So in one sense, the reason why Paul chooses Abraham is because if the point applies to Abraham, then the point will apply to everyone. But there's also a little more going on here than just that. So let's have a look. First, Paul quotes Genesis 15 verse 6 in Romans 4 verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the verse is so familiar it's worth breaking it down so we can actually see what it is saying. So God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed that God would keep his promise and that trust on Abraham's part was reckoned or counted to him as righteousness. Paul's next step is to quote something David writes in the Psalms. And Paul says in verse 6, effectively, that David is saying the same thing. 
But what surprises us as we read verses 7 to 8 is it doesn't really look like David is saying the same thing as what's just been said in Romans 4 verse 3. So let's have a closer look at verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What Paul is achieving here is he's expanding the same point, but he does this by coming at it from a different angle. So the point is no one can boast, and that includes Abraham. Abraham can't boast. His righteousness is reckoned to him because of his belief, his trust in God's promise. So he can't boast. And then David speaks of the man who's blessed. But the reason he's blessed is because God doesn't reckon his sin against him. It's the two sides of the same coin. There is the belief in God counted as righteousness. Then there's the forgiveness of sins. We could put it a different way. Righteousness is imputed or counted to the believer. And their sins or their sins are not imputed or not counted to the believer. So positively righteousness is counted because of their faith negatively their sins are not counted because of their faith and notice then what paul has achieved the one who's justified is completely passive in his justification before god what role has the individual played in his justification well the change that's taken place has happened to him it isn't something he's done. It's wholly by God's grace. And as a result, there's clearly nothing to be boasting about. Paul then goes on to highlight when it was that Abraham was counted righteous. It was when Abraham was uncircumcised. So you've got this idea here that Abraham, the uncircumcised, trusted in God and his belief was counted as righteousness. And this is extremely significant, particularly for us who are Gentiles. We have a connection with Abraham, despite the fact that we haven't been circumcised and despite the fact that we're not Jewish. And that connection comes from the fact that Abraham was justified before God when he was an uncircumcised man.
Paul then highlights how remarkable Abraham's faith is. Or, well, actually, is it remarkable? Abraham was the man with the silly name. He was called Exalted Father, and later his name was changed to Father of a Multitude. Yet he was childless, his body was weak, his wife was barren, she could have no children. There were many reasons to doubt that God's promises wouldn't be fulfilled. But this is the whole point of faith. It isn't about what we can do, and it has everything to do with the object of our faith. Who is it? Who is it that has made the promise? Paul reminds us of what Abraham believed in verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It's important to understand that our, the size of our faith isn't to do with how hard we can grit our teeth. Rather, it completely relates to how well we know the object of our faith. God had promised that Abraham would be father of many nations. Who is the God that Abraham had entrusted his future to? Well, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. John the Baptist, he was so sure of the promise that God made to Abraham that he rebukes the Pharisees and Sadducees when he says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. John the Baptist isn't expecting God to do such a thing, but simply that this is the extent of God's creative power. And so in one sense, it isn't actually Abraham's faith that's remarkable, but rather it is the object of Abraham's faith who is remarkable. And Abraham's confidence is that despite everything pointing to the contrary, he believes that God will keep his promise. And then we come to verse 23 where Paul uses the pronoun ours. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. 
It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Ours, including both Jew and Gentile. In fact, the distinction Jew and Gentile becomes redundant for the moment. Rather, the hour refers to all those who believe, regardless of whether they are Jew or whether they are Gentile. In one sense, we believe in the same promise that God made to Abraham. However, from our point of view, we see the promise fulfilled in all its fullness. We believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the one the Father sent to lay down his life for our sins and then raised him up for our justification. The initiative is the Father's, the work is carried out by the Son and the Spirit applies it to our lives now. It's the same passivity, that is, it's something that happens to us. There's nothing for us to boast to, or boast in. Rather, it's holy by grace. In the same way Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so too we believe God and it's counted to us as righteousness. And our sins are not counted against us. But was Abraham right to trust God's promise? Abraham would not become father of multitude until his offspring, Jesus, had died, risen and ascended to the Father. But at that point, God will fulfil his promise to Abraham as Jew, Samaritan and then people from the ends of the earth would believe the promises of God. And believe just as Abraham had done. And as such, we become children of Abraham. And the exalted father would become the father of a multitude. But God's plan would take time. And Abraham's faith would have to persevere. But it was his trust in God's promises that meant he was justified before God. And so too we find ourselves awaiting the return of Jesus. A promise that was made so many years ago, it may be we get distracted and look elsewhere. But just like Abraham, we must persevere. And we know God will vindicate his people those who have faith just like our father Abraham let's pray dear heavenly father we do thank you for the things that we've been able to reflect upon tonight uh, this morning we do thank you for the fact that Abraham trusted in your promises 
In one sense, as we reflect on these things, it shouldn't come as a surprise to us because you are the creator who you have brought all things into existence. Yet at the same time, we do appreciate that since the fall and at the fall, the default position of humanity is to bring into question your word. Particularly now as we see a world that reflects that ever so much, where the vast majority uh, suppress the truth that they know about you. We thank you that you've given us the grace to believe and pour our confidence in the promises. So we pray, Lord, that we would continue to persevere and anticipate those things that you've promised us. So that like Abraham, we would one day see the full fulfilment of the promises that you've made. Amen. Well, we've come to the point where we have our questions and this is how it works. So we use the question, uh, the chat area rather. And what we do, if you stick a cue in, then I'll see the cue and I'll know that you are going to write a question. So you stick a cue in, I know the question's coming up and it means that I won't move on. And you can ask a question about anything that we've discussed anything in the passage maybe something that we haven't looked at it's quite a large chunk hopefully brought out the main theme of the passage but there may be a few details you want more clarification on so either stick your question in or rather put the cue in and then that just um, gives you the opportunity just to relax and put your cue in and not have to worry too much about us moving on. Okay, we've got a question coming from the hearts. Obviously, we're going to wait for this question coming, but don't feel feel that you have to hold back. If you've got a question, feel free to stick in your queue so we know they're coming and get typing away. Okay, in verse 31, what does it mean for us to uphold the law in the midst of everything Paul has been saying? Let's have a look then. So back in chapter 3, verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith by no means on the contrary we uphold the law now let's have a think I th have a feeling like um, I'm tempted to say that this is a throwaway comment that Paul has made to make sure that objections aren't introduced when he doesn't want them to be there. So he says, don't worry about that. No, we do uphold the law. But I think what's going to happen is he's going to say, he's effectively saying, 
but we're not going to look at that now. But we are going to look at that in chapter six, seven, and eight. So I think probably one of the best things to do is think in terms of that that's a fleeting comment that Paul makes, which he's going to come back to. But you know me, I'm not going to leave it there, am I? That wouldn't be fair. So one of the things I think, if you remember back when we looked at Galatians, and I think, and if memory serves, this is going to be the same direction he's going to head to when we get to chapter 8, is that... And I guess if you think if you go back to Jeremiah thirty one to thirty three, let's let's do that. I think that probably will be the easiest um, way, the easiest way to approach this without stepping on our feet later on. We'll go back to Jeremiah. Let's have a quick look at Jeremiah thirty one. Thirty one to thirty. 34 it says this so jeremiah 31 31 to 34 behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and the house of judah not like the covenant that i made with their fathers on the day when i took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of egypt my covenant that they broke though i was their husband declares the lord for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So what we have here is there's a sense in that God's people are God's people, but as we've heard them described before, they're a stiff-necked people and a stubborn people, and the desire of their hearts is to rebel against God and not follow his law. And so what will happen in the new covenant when he brings his people back is he will put the law within them and write it on their hearts and so their desire will change notice again there's a passivity here it's not that they will do god's law but will god will give them the desire so they do god's law There's a sense that there won't be intermediary involved, intermediaries involved like there have been in the past where the prophets have to continually outline what's going on and tell them what to do, but rather they will know God directly and have the desire to follow him. And this, what we've read here, anticipates the giving of the Spirit. So when the Spirit is given to the people, the people of God they will have the desire to follow uh, God's law, as it were. 
And that's what we're going to get to when we get to Romans 8. Now, we looked at this a little bit in detail when we looked at Galatians. Um, so the idea that it's not the law of... Um, how, how do we put it? Let's have a quick look at Galatians, see if I can find it. Well, yeah, I guess in Galatians you've got this contrast between the law and the spirit. And it's the spirit that gives you the desire to do the things that you would have them do. So, I, hope, I mean, as I said, I don't want to tread on the toes, on our toes for when we get on further on. But I think that's the direction we're heading in. So you can't follow the law. We can't do it. And that's not how we can be justified. But just because we're justified by faith, we are then given the... It doesn't mean that the law is compromised or it's contrary to the law. But rather... I mean, even thinking in terms of... We can take a step back. How... Do we trust the promises of God? Because of the Spirit's work, it's the Spirit work that convicts us. Even that is the Spirit's work. It's the Spirit work that persuades us that the promises are true. And then the Spirit's work is to give us the desire to behave like the Father's children. I think I'll leave it there as a bit of a teaser for what's to come later on but we that's the that's a question that we're going to be picking up in a bit more detail i hope that's okay okay no other questions have come through i'll give you one moment um but i'm assuming that if you had one you would have put a cue in by now so unless a cue comes up we'll move on to our reflection